are back. Warp and Loof Radio, RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site. We come to you on Wednesdays from 11 to 11.50 each week. And our emphasis is always the same, to introduce you to Christians who are doing good around Indianapolis based on Titus 3, 1, 8, and 14. Do good, do good, do good. And our focus is to cross three bridges as Comenius Institute. We cross the first bridge in the college, which is engaging with young Christian college students and also faculty at IUPUI, uh, where I have the privilege of teaching as well, grateful to interact with lots of different questions and concerns that people might have there uh, about the Christian view of life and things. The second bridge we cross is into communities. We do that every Wednesday uh, during this particular show, introducing Indianapolis to each other, folks from around Indianapolis, and grateful again for those who have been on the show. We've been doing this for four years now, have over 200 episodes, have well over 200 guests, uh, grateful for the opportunities. And then the third bridge we cross is into culture. The culture that we cross into is very diversified. In fact, they just wrote a paper on neurodiversity, and uh, that'll be published this coming spring. But uh, during the, any given week on Tuesdays, we put out something called Truth in Two, a uh, two-minute video that gives us an emphasis on Christian truth in two minutes. But today, we are back to communities, always grateful for great Christian folk from around Indianapolis to introduce you to. And today, Joshua Hirschberger is here from the Daniel Institute. Uh, and this is from Who's Your Family? And we're grateful for you being here with us today. Great to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Look forward to it. Yeah, we're anxious to talk about this issue of how do Christians engage with politics. But before we do, uh, let's hear a little bit about you, Josh, from your perspective, a little bit of bio biography, background, however sure. you want to swing that. Sure. So I generally introduce myself as an attorney, a minister, and a speaker. And so because I'm a, a minister and attorney, people often ask me how I can serve God and the devil <laughs> all at the same time. And I, I know it's a little early, but I generally tell people, look, it's, it's only 99% of attorneys that give the rest a bad name. And I say that, and some of the people who may follow me get tired of that joke, I suppose. It's just that making fun of attorneys works everywhere. And everywhere. so it's just open season yeah. uh, on that. And so I have worked in the church world been on staff for about 10 years, just transitioned to more of a teaching pastor role in my church. I am licensed in uh, three states. I've litigated up to the Seventh Circuit, and so I wear the attorney hat as well, represent a lot of Christian ministries kind of around the country. Hmm. And then most recently joined Indiana Family Institute uh, to launch the Daniel Initiative, which is an effort to build relationships between the ministers of God, the ministers of government. Romans 13 talks about how uh, those that are in government are appointed by God. They're God's servant or minister. What we hope comes out of that are very meaningful partnerships between church and state that can really impact some of the tough problems we see, like the drug crisis. And I, I, I love that do-good emphasis. In fact, it's the name of one of our projects, which I'll, I'll get to. I actually am, live in Hanover, Indiana. My wife's on staff at our church. My daughter is eight. We kind of joke she's eight going on 18. So I don't know if any parents out there can relate to that. Uh, and then my son is turning one year old here soon. Um, he's in that mobile stage. So if any of those moms out there can uh, can relate, he's in one room, the next minute he's gone. And mm. you know it's trouble when it's quiet. <laughs> so, so but we love him to death. And I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm so privileged to serve the church in this way and to I think proclaim the gospel, live it out in this particular area of the country. Well, greetings to Hanover. Uh, we're grateful for you uh, listening and being here with us today. Thanks ever so much for joining us. Uh, thanks too, Josh, for the good work that you do, because I think it's really imperative for us to uh, talk about these things. I mean, this is one of those momentous days where 
you know, in Washington, D.C., you know, they're launching this uh, brand new public inquiry, you know, from president and so on. And so probably it's, it's actually a, a good day to have this kind of engagement and conversation with us here today on Warp and Woof Radio. Uh, let's just talk generally about uh, a Christian view of how we ought to think about politics uh, from a scriptural point of view. Sure. If you were to lay something out for us, what would that be? Exactly. So I, I start with a fairly simple concept. I think most Christians would get this. The, the gospel changes everything. Mm -hmm. If you look in the Great Commission, uh, Jesus commands us to go preach and teach to all the nations and to make disciples of them, teaching all things I have commanded you. And so one way that I paraphrase the Great Commission is Jesus tells us with his power, his presence, go tell everyone, everywhere, everything that I have commanded you. And Jesus had, of course, much to say about eternal salvation, but he also had a lot to say about other issues mm. as well. Uh, Eric Cooper from the Stone Table, I'm not sure if you have talked with He'll him. He'll be on in a couple weeks, yeah, actually. Uh, he has, and I'll just throw this out there. He has one of the best illustrations of this. So hopefully, Eric, I'm not stealing your thunder, <laughs> uh, but people just get a double dose of this. He uses an example of an old cafeteria tray at, at school lunch, where they give it to you, and you know every type of food had its own little compartment. So over here is the, the casserole you can't identify, you know, the, the roll that you can take a chainsaw to and it. I mean, maybe my lunch experience was worse than other people's, so I'm not sure. But uh, you have a compartment for everything. And we can go into perhaps the philosophy of that, but just briefly, I mean, we often split our lives into these different spheres. Mm -hmm. So we have church, and okay, I'm going to put on my spiritual hat and go to church, and then I've got work, and, and then I have school, and then we've got this really dirty, ugly thing called politics over <laughs> here. And, you know, we got to be careful. We can't let any of that touch each other. Mm. And Eric gives the great illustration that that's, that's kind of how we order our lives. But that's platonic dualism. That's kind of this modern Gnosticism. That's not the gospel. Right. The Bible tells us whatever your hand finds, do it to all, with all your might. We know that we're supposed to proclaim the gospel and live it out in every area of our life. So it's, it's less like that tray and more like a casserole. All right, so maybe that's not a great example if you've been to pitch-ins. But, no, but your life should be, it's just one thing. I'm a Christian. I'm applying my faith in every area of my life. And so I think the church does a good job saying, hey, here's how you live out your faith at work. Um, I love Truth at Work. You're familiar with them. They just had their big conference. Yep. Um, we do a good job. How do you do that at school? I love what you're doing with the, the colleges. But how do we live out discipleship in the public square? Christ doesn't call us just to make converts. He calls us to make disciples who are actually going to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And so how do we live out discipleship in the public square? So that's where I come from. And that's, we're talking about the impeachment, um, other major issues. It's so easy in politics to focus on the urgent rather than the important. So we kind of are, we want to step back. We want to look at it from a biblical perspective. And then where do we go from there? So I'll pause there for a second if you want to, to chime in. I'd, but that's how I process this, not as a, you know, here's my socio-political identity or tribe. It is, I'm a Christian first, and here's how I've got to approach this issue. Yeah, right. Well, first of all, I'll say that uh, not only do I recognize the fact that you're a speaker, but also a preacher, so, you know, I can kind of get that vibe already. But then also the lawyer thing's kind of popping through. I mean, quite frankly, I don't have too many guests that actually use the word Gnostic in any way. So oh. thank you ever so much for, for engaging in that way. Everybody's eyes roll back. In the <laughs> we made it brief, right? right. No, I'm, I'm greatly appreciative of this because, you know, basically 
what we say to people all the time is there's no such thing as secular or anything. All of life is God's, and therefore it's all sacred. Yes, sin has invested itself in it, but nonetheless, we're still responsible for it. So um, that really gives us a great overview of why you are so committed to the whole process of your Christian view of life and things within any vocation, no matter what it is. Uh, let's deal with the specific issue of what you do with the Daniel Initiative. Right. Kind of explain that for folks. Sure. And so we have three main projects. So I could just briefly mention kind of the, the problem that we face. Sure. Um, I, I think most people would sense this. Uh, we, we know that we're supposed to live out the, the gospel in public life, and our role is as, as a citizen. But how exactly do you do that? <laughs> That's the billion-dollar question. It's a million-dollar question in adjusted for inflation, right? Um, <laughs> but we're headed into 2020. We know that this is going to be one of the most controversial, difficult elections of our lifetime. Uh, we know that we are an incre increasingly diverse, but also divided society. I think part of that is we have different views of freedom. We have different views of where the country should go. And so we, we understand that this is going to be an incredibly difficult season for us as Americans. But also, I think we see we're doing well economically, but I think many Americans sense that just below the surface, mm -hmm. we're actually a culture in crisis. Uh, you think about our about 10-year experiment with social media. Mm -hmm. uh, you think about expressive individualism, everything's about me. Mm -hmm. Well, we've been trying this for a little while, and it's led to, I think, loneliness, uh, to a loss of purpose, mm -hmm. uh, I think to great division in our society, a sense of anxiety. You, you think with all of the technology in the world, we'd be happy and fulfilled and we feel good about ourselves. But we, we go to sleep every night feeling like somebody else is doing a better job than us. Mm -hmm. And I interviewed a state senator who's Republican, and I interviewed a state representative who's Democrat. I asked them, what is the worst problem in Indiana? What's the worst problem in your district? And I, mm -hmm. I appreciated the wisdom. They, they cut past all of the symptoms, yeah. and they both used the same phrase. They said the breakdown of the family. Wow. So that is the most difficult issue in my district. And so I think we know just below the surface, mm -hmm. we're really a, a culture in crisis. Mm -hmm. And so we want to come at that. We don't want to just solve the symptoms, kind of put a Band-Aid on a broken arm or broken leg. We want to address the root problem. So we have three main projects. The first one is the capital project. Mm -hmm. What we want to do is we want to connect the ministers of God to the ministers of government at the state capitol. Mm -hmm. And we've already met with several elected officials, like the head of the Department of Child Services, uh, the state auditor, different senators, representatives. And those meetings are not, we think you're a terrible leader, or, hey, you have to vote for this, or here's my pet project. It is, we're leaders of the church, we're part of the community too, and we want to meet you. We want you to know that we're here. We want to pray with you. And we want to talk to you about, well, what does Scripture say about your role? as a, a leader in government. One of the, the passages we've been talking about lately is in John 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Mm. And I never call politicians politicians, right? It, it's kind of bad, but that's why people don't call me an attorney, right? <laughs> uh, one of those senior lawyers. No, we, they want to lead. And we encourage them to be leaders. We need leaders mm. in these times. Mm. But then what is leadership? It's sacrificial. Just like Jesus did, he laid down his life for the sheep, and so he encouraged them to lead in that way. And that's led to just some incredible, incredible conversations. And I think in our society, we often talk about civility. We need civility. We need civility. 
but who's going to go first? Right. Because we'll, we'll talk about civility on Sunday morning, but then we all retire to our social media tribes oh, and, yeah. and bash on the Nazis or the mm -hmm. libtards, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is saying, no, Scripture commands us to pray for our elected officials. And so we're going to go in and we're going to pray with them, but then we're also going to ask them, how can we partner with you? How can we help solve tough problems? That leads into the second piece, which is the Do Good Project, which I think is right in line with what you're saying. And I love several verses um, throughout the New Testament, wherever Scripture speaks to our role to community, as well to culture, to especially to government, there's this curiously consistent command, and that is to do good. And I think of uh, Titus 3, 18, it says, This is a faithful saying, and these things I will thou from constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. And then in 1 Peter number, uh, chapter twelve verse or chapter 2, verse 12, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So it's just constant throughout the New Testament, good works. So when we go in and we partner with government, we find that this allows some very natural partnerships to form. One great example of this is what's called the Care Corps. I'll be talking to Senator Zay later today. He helped author this bill. Mm -hmm. And what the Care Portal does is it allows the Department of Child Services, if they're in a context where it's poverty-based neglect, so single mom, single dad doesn't have a mattress, doesn't have food, mm -hmm. DCS is required to pull that kid out of the home. They go into foster care. Well, this allows DCS to send out emails to partnering churches and the church can show up as you know, ABC Church mm. with a mattress at 12 Smith Street and keep that kid out of foster care. Wow. In Lawrence, where this launched, that has already kept 79 kids out of foster care. I think it may be up wow. closer to 100 now. Wow. That's now launching into all of Indianapolis. And nice. so if you'd be interested in that, you're here in the Indianapolis area, please contact us. It's a big um, deal. Yeah. And now it's going to be launching into three outlying counties around the state. We... What I often ask is, well, what, what are the worst problems? Mm. And so where can the church engage? I actually asked the governor this, mm. and he spit them out real quick. He said, number one, foster care. Number two, drug addiction. Number three, jail ministry. And so these are things the church can engage in and, mm. and really make a difference. And I'm not sure if these numbers are out there. Most people realize them. But our numbers in Indiana, foster care, from 2012 to 2019, they doubled. And we're something like the third or fifth worst state in the country wow. with our foster care numbers. And so what an incredible opportunity to jump in and help solve and, and do good in that way. So that's the second piece. I'll kind of pause here. You know, maybe you've got some things to add. I'll keep going. But uh, Yeah, that's okay. Let me, let me just uh, highlight or ask one real quick question. What would politicians rather be called? Statesmen, stateswomen, okay. leaders. Okay, um, so maybe civic leaders. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a politician. I'm in public service. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Public service. So, states person, statesman, yeah, statesman. He calls them statesmen. Stateswomen, it's a little awkward. So just a, a public servant. A public servant. Yeah, calling them a public servant. Okay. Um, yeah, you go in there calling them a politician, you can see them bristle. And that's, <laughs> sure. It's important. I mean, words do make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking to them in a language that respects them, dignifies them, I think it's important. So second question is... Uh, do you uh, know and work with Matt Barnes? Yes. Okay. Yes. So uh, HB and I, for the last three years, we've gone down to the state house for the opening of the session yeah. and set up shop down there. We have a mobile. We take everything with us. And uh, 
I just extend you the invitation. Whatever the, the opening day is, uh, we'll be there and awesome. see what we can do about uh, making sure you're part of the, the platform that we have that particular day. Matt uh, uh, sets us up with various representatives and, and senators uh, during that particular day, and we just kind of interview people sure. as we go through. Uh, so it'd be great to have you there if that's something you'd like to do. That's awesome. We can talk more about it. And yep. I have spoken at length to Matt. And Matt, if you're not familiar with his ministry, Public Service Prayer, mm -hmm. he's been there for 15 years, does an incredible job of ministry to spiritual needs of public servants. Mm -hmm. uh, where, and we talked about this, where we would differ just a little bit. And I've always been keen about, I, I want to make sure we're not just duplicating. Sure, efforts. absolutely. Um, where we would differ a little bit is we want to pray with them, but we also want to ask how can we partner with you yeah. in solving tough problems. And uh, I think there's already some synergy developing there. So and, I need to respect that. And Matt, Matt's focus is truly to be a pastoral yes. chaplain. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Matt's been on the program before, grateful again for his work uh, at the State House with so many different great people there, public servants all. We're grateful mm -hmm. for their their ministry. And I actually I wanted to use the word ministry because I believe that whatever your vocation is, is your ministry as a Christian, no matter what that might be. Well, before we take our first break in about three minutes, uh, why don't you tell us about that third uh, experience that you want people to know about? Sure, so the third piece of this is what we call the Good Citizen Project. Again, folks in that word good, wherever scripture speaks about our relationship to government, it uses the word, uses the word citizen. There was a study done by Tom Rayner or by Lifeway, mm. and then uh, by the Ed Stetzer in the Wheaton, one of the Wheaton centers there. Billy Graham School. The Billy Graham School, exactly. And after the 2016 election, they found that 60% of Christians that were interviewed said that they received little to no what they call political discipleship oh, from their churches. Now, again, this wasn't go vote for Donald Trump or vote for Hillary Clinton. It was, what are the biblical principles mm -hmm. that apply to this area of our lives? Mm -hmm. And... I talk to many pastors and they say, look, you know, this is sensitive and I, I'm just trying to hold some people together. And I know this guy over here is a conservative Republican. This guy's a liberal Democrat. And I'm trying to get them to serve together. And if I say anything about this, it's going to blow up in my face. And so I'm afraid that many Christians have been to find their identity in their socio-political tribe mm -hmm. rather than in their, their identity, their identity as a Christ follower. Mm -hmm. And so what we do is come in and say, all right, no, no politicians, no issues, at least for this Sunday, um, unless requested. What does the Bible say about this? Yeah. It's not my words. Let's look at what Scripture says. Mm -hmm. Government, the interaction with government is a part of the human condition, mm -hmm. and it has been something the church has done mm -hmm. for thousands of years. And now we just need to apply those same principles to our times. Yeah. And so that's what we come in and do and get into a few more of those, in a few of those principles in the next section. Sure. But that's the idea. Just like we've talked about, it's a casserole. Mm -hmm. It's not the cafeteria plate, it's a casserole. And so if we're applying our faith in every area of our lives, mm -hmm. how do we do that well? How do we live out discipleship in the public square? And so that's the third project. We do that through a podcast. We do that through speaking at churches. In fact, I preach at a church on Sunday about this. And so that's our hope, be able to give Christians those principles so they can then go apply it using their conscience. Mm -hmm. This is fantastic stuff. We're listening to Joshua Hirschberger from the Daniel Ins Initiative uh, from the Hoosier Family Group here in Indiana. Grateful for his presence, for his work, uh, for all of the good work, for all of the good public servants that we have 
uh, folks who are serving us at the State House. We're going to be taking a one-song break. When we come back, Josh is going to uh, lay out some more of these principles for us, a biblical point of view about how we should approach politics. You're listening to Warp and Move Radio, RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site. We'll be right back. We're still on Facebook Live. So we still might make fun of anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Want to make sure all the guests know that uh, we're still live here. Uh, so yeah, grateful for this. This is uh, this is a good first segment, and then in the second segment we'll go into the principles. Whatever you want to do, is second segment. Um, but you know, frankly, just so you know, I love it when somebody you know takes all the airtime because it just makes my okay. job so yeah, much I feel easier. Like I'm talking <laughs> too much. That's okay. That's okay. This is your shot at giving people this this word, and it's just such an important word. It's a surprise, surprise, and minister and an attorney keeps talking. <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to lay on those yeah. lawyer jokes, aren't you? Yeah. Well, so, my fav- can we have a moment to share my please? favorite lawyer yeah. joke? Please. So this was told to me by my father-in-law, who's also the senior pastor of the church, right? So okay. that's the context. Um, <laughs> so this pastor is dying, and uh, he, he knows it. He's about to pass away. So he asked his wife to, to go invite an attorney and an IRS agent to his hospital room. And so his wife's confused, but you know, this is just a tough moment, so she goes and gets them. They they come in. And he asks them to come over and so he holds you know, he asks them to come to the bedside. He's holding the attorney's hand and he's holding uh, the IRS agent's hand. And he gets this really peaceful look. And he looks he leans back and they're afraid the attorney and the IRS agent, they're afraid he's gonna die on. So they're looking at each other. The attorney's like, I've got people to cheat. The IRS agent, I've got unfair taxes to enforce. So let's go. <laughs> and so they shake him and say, hey, what's going on here? What, why'd you ask us in here? And he said, well, he kind of pulls himself together and says, well, Jesus died between two thieves, and I wanted to, too. And so that's, I get attorney jokes all the time, but that's my favorite one, favorite one today. Oh, my so. word. Dying between two thieves. Dear. You know, I, speaking of the two, I was thinking about um, Jesus' disciples. You know, here you've got Simon the Zealot, who's the Roman cons- uh, hatred of the Romans, and then you've got Matthew the tax collector, who's in collusion with the Romans. And so you have these on the same team. You know, you've literally right. got two ends of the spectrum on this team here that Jesus pulled together. I think, you know, just in terms of optics, that's that's instructive. Yes, when we look at the disciples, um, and I always. For whatever reason, whenever we have these discussions with people, and I, I don't, t- I don't think about First Peter two. I don't think about Romans thirteen. I don't think about all these other passages. I always think about Acts twenty one, where Paul is about to get flogged, and yeah. he says, "Oh, before you raise the whip, you might want to know I'm a Roman citizen." Yes, and, yes. And he literally uses the law to enforce. Uh, the protection that he can have as Roman citizen. Absolutely. No, that's, that's a great word. I often mention that, that Paul used the law as a tool rather than as an excuse. Mm-hmm. And he, he actually was masterful in the way he used, first of all, Roman uh, civil procedure, mm-hmm. in a sense, and then kind of appellate procedure. So actually it's criminal uh, procedure because he was flogged without a, a hearing. And it's funny because the those magistrates, when they hear about this, are oh, no. <laughs> like, oh, my bad. And so this is not a, a good thing for them at all. I mean, it could have serious ramifications. But then he appeals to Caesar, and this wins him an, ar- an audience in front of the emperor of the greatest empire in the face of the earth. And so he uses those tools, mm-hmm. his citizenship, his knowledge of the law, 
to further his ministry, and that's always been my encouragement to pastors. It's it's not about you becoming an attorney yourself. That's been scary, but how can you use those tools to further your ministry? Yes, every single time using the tools. That's that's huge, and you know, back to the partisanship uh, issue for just a moment to say, the sadness of this is that the people don't really know have any kind of political principles laid out for them in any way. Uh, and that's really the sadness to me. So whenever I write on politics, it actually blows up my analytics because I'm I'm writing, giving all these biblical principles that basically people have never heard before and they're just shocked that this stuff is in the Bible, you know? And then you have uh, folks that want to push back on you. I had a white nationalist come after me once. Mm. That was quite something. That, was that means you're doing something right. Oh my word. Okay. That was... <laughs> That's a whole story right there, but yeah, this is uh, this is a huge issue and one that, especially you suggested this year, we're coming into a full blown year now of politics at the presidential level, every other level for that matter. So I don't even know our our all four thirty five up this time. Well, you'd have the senators, of course, that are. I'm thinking about the House. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I'm there every two years. Um, and then here in the state of Indiana, we have 150 elected officials, many of them, of course, in the House, 100 being up for election. So, yeah. Well, this is uh, it's tough times. And one of the things that really surprised me was when I, I was writing last during the last segment, 2016, and I everybody, like everybody else, thought Mrs. Clinton was going to win. in. And basically, I was writing this whole essay to myself. This is my responsibility in First Peter yes, 2, yes. this is how I should be res- responding, you know, and then we're all blown out of the water. And what's happening. Well, we will say in, in our ministry parlance is the our responsibility is to the office and not just to a person. And so, yes, whoever that person is in the office, whether it's head of these And we are back. Thank you for joining us again for our second segment, Warp and Wolf Radio, RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site. I see all of those green lines and some good comments over there. Thanks so much for joining us. Facebook Live later on the podcast. You'll be picking us up as well. Also live if you're listening on your earbuds right now. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Josh Hirschberger is here from the Daniel Initiative uh, from Hoosier Family Institute here in Indiana. And in the first segment, uh, Josh, you were kind of going over your three major initiatives here. Uh, why don't you just kind of give us a snapshot summary of each of those three, right. then we'll dive into the principles. Yeah, so Capital Project, we're trying to connect, connect the ministers of God, church leaders, the ministers of government, and we hope that that leads into the second one, which is called the Do Good Projects, very just natural partnerships between church and state to solve tough problems. And then the third one is to talk to Christians about their role as a citizen. How can we exercise discipleship following the whole way of Jesus? in the public square. Fantastic works here, all of them. Uh, let's talk about the principles now that you had been suggesting in the first segment when we were together, uh, telling us about some of the things that you uh, enjoin when you're going to, uh, say, churches to preach or any other kind of civic groups. What kind of biblical principles do you encourage people with as it relates to how should they function as Christians in the public square? Right, so I, to kind of sum it all down, I'll, I'll just give you three guiding principles today. And when I think about citizenship, um, I, you mentioned Paul earlier. I think he's a great example. He was a Roman citizen. He used that um, to further his ministry. This was not something he just kind of put on the shelf and didn't engage. Um, I love the United States. I think it's a remarkable nation. Uh, we haven't always lived up to our ideals, and we perhaps never will, but it doesn't mean that we stop trying. Mm-hmm. 
And so when I think about the American experiment in ordered liberty, my question often has been, well, how, how can we best support this? How can we push it into the future? Mm-hmm. And I, I remember his story. So my, my brother and his wife live in, in rural Arkansas, and they have mm-hmm. several kids. My, my niece is just as cute as a button, and she says some of the, the most amazing things. <laughs> and so uh, they, had, they were trying to nurse a cat, a little kitten, back to health. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to help the cat, trying to help the cat. It just, but it, it was away from its mom. Despite their very best efforts, unfortunately, one night this cat, little kitten, passed away. I'm, I'm sorry for all you cat lovers out there. That's a moment of silence, I guess. Uh, but so the, all the kids go out there, and my brother didn't know that the cat had died overnight. So they're all, you know, experiencing death for kind of the first time. And so one of the boys just holds the little kitten up by the tail, and it's already stiff. Uh, and so I'm mean, going somewhere with this. <laughs> and so one of the boys is holding the little little dead kitten up by the tail, and my niece looks at it and says, and the kind of tugs on my my brother's shirt and says, "Daddy, the cat needs more batteries." And so, and so in her mind, she's always seeing toys. All you have to do to bring it back to life is here's some more batteries. And I think in a way that's kind of what we we look at the American experiment as. I would just need more technology. Mm-hmm. You know, we just get you know this this particular relationship right. If we just have some more batteries, it's going to bring this whole thing back to life, put it right back in the right spot. Mm-hmm. But we know from the founders that our our experiment in order liberty was made for a moral and religious people. It doesn't mean that you know anyone that's not religious is is kicked out or anything. It's just those that created this machine. This, this very well-functioning machine said, what you need are moral and religious people. Mm-hmm. And it, just kind of dial that back a second. It makes mm-hmm. sense, right? Mm-hmm. How can you have a democratic republic if people can't control themselves? Mm-hmm. And, or if the, our compasses always just point straight back to us yeah. and you have no guiding principles. And so then as Christians, as we engage, how do we do this well? So the first thing I would say is a guiding principle is we are Caesar. So when Jesus says in Scripture, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's, render unto God that which is God, he's referring to a Roman coin called the denarius. And on the front of the coin was an inscription of Caesar himself, which was a symbol of Roman political power. And so I think Jesus was referring to that. Render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. What are we supposed to do? Taxes is a specific context, but also you know obedience to political Roman state. But on the back of the denarius, was an inscription and a picture of Caesar's mother. And it was a reference to her position as a prophetess, her mm-hmm. highest priestess. And so what was that? That was a call to ultimate allegiance and worship of the Roman state. And so what does Jesus say? Render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. Render to God that which is God's. And so you may not give ultimate worship or allegiance to the Roman state. Mm-hmm. So then we apply that in American context. Well, what is... What is, who's Caesar in our context? Many people would think, well, it's the president, um, it's the Supreme Court, it's Congress. But if you look in the Constitution, the preamble says, we the people of the United States, dot, 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 do ordain and establish this Constitution. So who's Caesar in the American context? We are. All of us are. And so many Christians like, I can't engage in politics. That's dirty. That's, and you understand, we have ultimate authority. We're citizen sovereigns. What does it mean? We also have responsibility for this. And I think if we're tightly analyzing the American Republic and saying, how do I apply this here? It means I'm Caesar, and this requires my principled participation. 
So that's a guiding principle. You can't just throw your hands up because I think as an American Christian, we have responsibility. What, hap what would happen if no one voted? The whole process would shut down. So that's the first guiding principle. I think we have authority and therefore responsibility. The second one is uh, we are citizens. And this goes right along, along with their emphasis on doing good works, doing good works. I think many Christians engage sometimes from fear and self-preservation. Mm. You look back about 100 years, we've either withdrawn from public life or we've kind of come screaming back in saying, give me my rights, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, you, you, I deserve this tax exemption. Don't you dare take it away. Mm. And I, I understand that. We want the, the gospel to go forward. Mm. But if you look in Jeremiah 29, in a very similar situation where people of God were taken from Jerusalem, uh, from Israel, moved to Babylon, this very multicultural, diverse society. They all huddle up along the river. And God gives Jeremiah a letter, sends it to them, and says, go seek the, the peace, the peace, the prosperity, the shalom of the city around you. It's not to just huddle over here in, in your little complex. It is to go seek the good of the city in which you live. And so this guiding principle means that when we come to public life, we do so for the good of all people. We do, we do so for the good of our neighbors. We do so for even the good of our enemies. And so I think we have to check our motives when we walk into the public square. Um, and one of the questions I often will raise is, what's the goal here? I mean, and one of the frustrations I've had as an attorney is, Am I simply kind of fighting for the right for us to exercise our faith in an ever-shrinking sacred bubble? Mm. Uh, I, I can't get behind that. That's not the, the Great Commission. Uh, nor do I think we can set out this cultural moment in a church-shaped bunker. Like, you know, we're just shut the windows, chain the doors. As long as we've got that, we're good. No, that's not our call. Our call is to be out there seeking the good of the people around us. So always checking that motive. Mm. And then the last one, and the one that I'll focus on the most, is... We are Christians. As we mentioned before, I think many Christians have slipped into kind of identifying as, well, I'm a conservative Republican, or I'm a liberal Democrat. And certainly your faith can, can inform you how you vote and even which party you align with. But when that becomes the foremost consideration in who you are and what you do, it's disordered. It's disordered. Um, I, I heard someone say recently, this makes so much sense to me, that we used to find our identity in religion. We used to exercise morals in politics, and then we exercise consumer behavior with corporations. Mm. But things have drastically changed to where we find our identity in politics. And I think it was uh, Newhouse who talked about in the 60s or 70s. If you kick God out of the equation, what will happen is a return to the political religions. Mm. And that's why I think things are so difficult and crazy these days. People are putting this ultimate pressure on politics. And they're doing that because they have no religion, they have no belief in God and trust in Him. Mm. But then it goes on to say that uh, we now exercise our morals with corporations, and we have relegated our consumer behavior to religion. So it's like, oh, that, that church down the street has better music, I'm going to go down there, right? sort of thing. Right. right. And so what does this mean? We're Christians. Well, I, I think it's best measured by what you should not do. On one hand, you should not jeopardize biblical principles for political expediency. Never, ever, 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 because then you, you have no witness in the public square. But on the other hand, what can happen is you begin to lean, you have the grace and, and truth dynamic. You can lean so far into grace 
that you forget truth. Speaking truth to your neighbor because it's difficult. Mm -hmm. Well, sometimes say is that, you know, kindness, we have kind of this epidemic of kindness, but what Jesus was talking about when he's talking about kindness was not just letting go of truth entirely. And sometimes I think that the church's witness has gone from prophetic to pathetic and that we don't speak truth to power. And why should we be confident in doing that? Because it's what's best. If we believe that the gospel changes everything, we believe it's best not just for me, not just for my church, but for everyone in a society. And so we should be confident mm -hmm. in doing that. And so, especially as we head into 2020, this is going to be a tension to manage. It's not a problem to be solved. It's something we're always going to have to manage as Christ followers in a participatory democracy slash republic. This is something that we're always going to be dealing with. And so that's the hope of, of these three guiding principles. Uh, just kind of a checklist that I'll often give uh, to, to listeners about, all right, how, do you, how would you kind of just do this on a daily basis? Uh, so I think follow those guiding principles, but then, you know, are you praying? Uh, it says to pray for all that are in authority. Mm -hmm. Do we also pray for the American people generally because they are in authority, mm -hmm. that they would be revived according to the scriptures, so they'd find Jesus, etc., that they'd have wisdom in, in picking a leader? Mm -hmm. Do you vote according to biblical principles? Do you build relationships? It's really hard to scream at somebody when you're sitting across from them. Mm -hmm. I recently had a meeting with the head of the Department of Child Services here in the state of Indiana. That position has come under a lot of scrutiny. Um, but I, I was really impressed by Terry Stigdon and all that she's doing. And uh, she gave me some things that, hey, can you go talk to the church about this? I'm, you know, I'd love to work with all groups in the community to solve this problem. And then are you serving your community? Are you out there, as you're saying, doing something? Um, that shows, hey, you're a part of this. I'm invested in this place. I'm not just over here trying to protect my little king, kingdom called a church. I want to invest in this place. And then are you speaking with grace and truth um, to the community around you? Are you pulling your punches just because you think it's going to be controversial on a tough issue? No, we should be speaking truth for our society as well. So I'll pause right there and kind of hand the ball back to you. Those, those okay. are the three guiding principles and then kind of a, a checklist of how we think about citizenship. This is a, a huge issue for us. I, one of the things that strikes me as I listen to all of these good principles is the essence of what it means uh, to be a Christian, first of all. So are people even studying Scripture? Are they reading the Bible? Are they getting a sense of what does Romans 13 say? What does 1 Peter 2 say? What does Jeremiah 29 say? How are we responding to uh, biblical principles within the context of our politics, much less the context of all of life? Because, as you well suggested early on, this isn't segmented, fragmented out. We're not living in these little pockets of life where this is separate from everything else. So my concern is always, I think, for the church that we have theological depth, biblical depth in our churches. What do you find as you go to uh, churches around Indianapolis in that sense of things? Uh, where do you think the church is at? And what do you think uh, can be done to help uh, and to give some kind of sustenance to the church itself within this kind of conversation. Sure. So I recently attended a George Barnow event over in Cincinnati, and I'm not one prone to depression, but about halfway through I'm over there like, I, I it's just terrible. One of the things that he mentions, and this is why I think this goes right in line with, a, I think, a great trend in the church, and that is to say, uh, George Barnow said that something like, only 20 to 25% of the Christians in our pews have a biblical worldview. Mm -hmm. 
um, people's Christianity oftentimes is just kind of inch deep. No, that's really for all of us. We're all on the journey of becoming more like Jesus and conforming our lives to what Jesus has called us to do. But that's a that's troubling. So what I sense from from many of the pastors around Indianapolis is a an effort to get back to that, to disciple making, whether that's a mega church, whether that's a small church. And so I'm I'm optimistic about that. Um, certainly there are challenges. And certainly there are some churches where it's just, you know, we're we're not gonna get to these deeper issues because we know that people are fickle and we've got a budget to, to manage and we want to draw people in. So that, that's a, a tension as well. But overall, I see a renewed emphasis on disciple making. And what I see is this is an extension of that. How can I be a disciple in the public square? So what we're doing is preaching on Sunday mornings, you know, providing a podcast, providing resources. So again, pastors that they're the gatekeeper. And so I want to talk to them. I want them to know my heart. Um, I even invite them to come down to the state house with me. See this actually, because I think most pastors, they know they want to say something, but they also don't want their gospel witness hijacked, right, by political partisanship. Right. And I think many of them have been burned mm-hmm. in the past, mm-hmm. and they're almost they're waiting for the, the bait and switch. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, what are you really after? <laughs> no, no, this is it. This is it. And so that's what we're doing to try to encourage churches. Um, any. Church leaders here in Indianapolis would be interested in coming down with me. We're, we're scheduling meetings for the spring. I'd love to, you know, have you come down with me, uh, be able to minister to your elected officials. It's a very difficult job. Sometimes there's up to a thousand bills that are proposed. Each one of them have different ethical, economic considerations, and they're trying to do the best that they can. And so having someone to encourage them and just speak to them as a, a fellow community member and oftentimes be so refreshing as they're trying to leave through this difficult area. So that's what I see in Indianapolis. I see certainly the struggle that we have across the country of how to get people to go to that next level, to really dive into that relationship with Christ. Um, and that's where we come alongside the church and say, amen. And let's let's just push that forward into every area. Do you have any kind of uh, uh, curricular uh, advance to this? I mean, do you have somebody writing for you in that sense? So we do have the podcast, uh, which we talk kind of every week in just a different area. The last one was on how do you start a foster care and adoption ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next episode, which will go out either today or tomorrow, will be a, a pastor that's now running for Congress. And just mm-hmm. asking him, not we're not endorsing him, but just saying, what are the principles that, that led you into this? And he mm-hmm. describes a call to public life, just like many pastors describe a call to church ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am writing a book. Um, oh, it should be out in the spring. Um, on the the concept of gospel-centered citizenship in post-Christian America. So it's not quite ready, but um, we do preach. That's probably the the easiest thing if the church would be interested, either preaching on a Sunday morning or coming to a small group of some sort, Mm -hmm. uh, to be able to share that would be a way to get this message to the congregation. I was only, you suggested that uh, we need help across the board, and what I would say is, I've written and published lots of curricula, happy to help in that regard. Yes. If that's ever something that you wanted to uh, engage with. And for anybody that's listening, you know, if your ears, you know, perk up and say, hey, you know, I heard this or that this little phrase kind of jumped out at me. And I think, wow, this could be something I could be invested with. I think, you know, here's the opportunity to reach out uh, to Josh Hirschberger here at the Daniel Initiative uh, for the Hoosier Family Institute and uh, find out how you can become involved in this. 
Um, let's, in our last couple of minutes here, because we just have a few minutes left, if you were going to say to people, this is the thing that I don't want you to ever forget. This is the basis and the permeation. This is the foundation and the permeation of everything that is imperative for us to hear from a Christian vantage point, no matter who you are, what color your skin is, what political stripe you're at, whatever. What would you say? Sure. Great question. And I come back to the, uh, a question, um, something that's troubled me deeply. As I've worked in this area, I felt called to it since I was a teenager. And I just wonder if as Christians we've lost the vision for the United States. Mm -hmm. What's What does victory look like? All I could sense was we got to get the right president, the right Supreme Court justices, and the right the congressmen and women, and then everything will be great. And somehow that's going to lead the United States back to Christ. Now, nobody says that, all right? Nobody's preaching that, but that does seem to be our goal. And so there's, okay, we got, we got to win all of those things. And I, I agree, we need to remain engaged. But I just couldn't wrap that goal around the Great Commission. Um, on the other hand, you see a lot of Christians that are just kind of swinging back to the withdrawal mode. So, you know, that's a dirty thing, and we're going to just preach the gospel. We're not going to do anything about that, and, you know, we'll be better under persecution. The church is always, well, look at the Middle East, right? right. And where most Christians have been emptied out of some of the historic foundation points of Christianity. Um, so I just, I said to them, what is the vision? If the vision is complete withdrawal, I can't get behind it. If it's just we got to win the, the White House, as Chuck Colson would say, you know, salvation of the kingdom of God's not going to come in on Air Force One. Those are all important things, but what's the ultimate thing? And so, what's the vision for the United States? Mm -hmm. What if each one of us would take that little area in our heart where we haven't given it over to Jesus? And maybe for some of us, it's politics, where we need to smash some political idols mm -hmm. and say, "I'm not, I'm not going to jeopardize biblical truth." for political expediency. Or it's, I'm just afraid. And I don't want to speak truth to my neighbor because they're going to say something to me or they're going to remark or it's going to affect our friendship. We need to be filled with grace and truth. So what, what if we smash that in our own life and said, I'm going to give it all to Jesus. I'm going to be a disciple. And then what if those types of disciples came into our churches and our, our churches became the focus point in our community where whatever church that might be, would become the foundation of a, a renewal in the United States, renewal of the church all around the country. And then what if we served our community so well that people started standing up, taking notice, saying, wow, religious freedom matters because it allows these people, the, the thing that inspires them, it allows them to, to freely live that out in every corner of our culture. And then what if those disciples become good citizens? And that becomes a secret sauce, the, in a sense, the lifeblood of the American Republic, and it renews our experiment into the future. So I can't get behind withdrawal, and I can't get behind just trying to crush our, our political opponents as a strategy. But what if it's just simply proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, seeking the common good, and then transforming our country through the power of the gospel? That's in America in, in 2050 that I can get behind. Because I can see the gospel move forward, I can see religious liberty respected, and I can see the American experiment renewed. That, for me, is why I get up every morning, and I think is the hope for the church. I'll finish with a story. I recently interviewed Representative Randy Fry. He's from the southeast corner of the state. 
uh, remarkable representative, very hardworking. Um, he told me this amazing story. He said he was playing basketball uh, for Cincinnati Christian University. It was his second college game, and he's just amazed. Oh, look at all the fans and all this. And so he's looking around, and he's, he's not really engaging in the game. And so he's running down the sideline, and his coach grabs him by the jersey. Not, doesn't call a timeout, nothing. He just grabs him by the jersey, gets him right in his face. He points his finger at him and says, Fry, get in the game or buy a ticket. Get in the game or buy a ticket. That's great. And that's really my message to the church, and that is don't withdraw. We can't just culture war out of fear and self-preservation. But the gospel compels us to engage in every area of life, and certainly that includes the public square. And I believe through the power of the gospel that we can transform our country. And that's the best vision for people. Yeah, Joshua Hirschberger from the Daniel Initiative, Hoosier Family Institute. We're grateful for your time today. Thanks ever so much for joining us. Thank you so much for being Thank you for all that you do. I appreciate it. Uh, you've been listening to Warp and Wolf Radio, Radio Next.TV at the Cool Groove site. Next week, we're going to talk about Thanksgiving ahead of Thanksgiving because we will not have a broadcast that Wednesday of Thanksgiving week, just so you're aware. And we are grateful to be with you one more time. Thanks ever so much for HB, for all the good work he does producing this show. For Josh Collingwood, who will later on put all of this together in digitized form, one of HB's favorite words that I now use. And from time to time, uh, all of the folks that make connections for us, we ask that for all of our guests that join us, please uh, let us know other folks that we should have in this broadcast. And I say that to everybody out there listening to us now. You think there's somebody around Indianapolis, Christians who are doing good, you think they should be on the show, let us know. We'll be happy to have them on. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you again next.